From the non-existent sanctuary, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Please welcome two men still waiting for their life clocks to change to red, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Uh, you got any more of that ice cream for me? No, I didn't make any more. It was this a week, week ago. I know. You're supposed you had a whole week to make I more ice cream for me. You didn't make any cinnamon ice cream. Did you have a day job? I have a day job. <laughs> yes, my job is not making you food. Well, it should be. Maybe you should reconsider that. Uh, how, how well does that job pay? Uh, exactly. I'll pay you. I'll pay you to stay home. Really? I'll pay you to stay. What do they pay you? What do they pay you over there? More than you can possibly five, five, afford. Five, six bucks an hour? Oh, yeah. I will buy three hours of your time to make me ice cream. Really? Yeah. I will eighteen dollars. I will pay you eighteen dollars to make me a pint of ice cream. Come on, it's a good deal, dude. Because like Haagen Dazs charges like you know four fifty. Now hang on, now you're you're saying I'm something. I'm going to give you eighteen dollars to make me a pint of ice cream that I would only pay Haagen Dazs four fifty for. That's a good deal. Now wait, now will you pay me that? Is that irrespective of whether I'm working or not, or is it just I'll give you eighteen bucks to make me some no, ice you, cream? No, you stay home from work, and I will. I'll pay you eighteen. Stay home bucks. from work. Yeah. So if I, I'm so generous. If, I'm generous that way. So let's say. That I worked yeah. a half day. Yes. Right? So well, I that's got to be worth I'm 25 bucks. So make me two pints. So if I make worked, so literally, if I worked a half day. I'll throw you, I will throw you, I'll throw you some dead presidents. Really? Damn right, yeah. I'll throw you 25 bucks. See, see, full disclosure. A little Jackson and Lincoln action, right? See, right? Full, full disclosure. Andrew and Abe. I'll give you an Andrew and an Abe, babe. I would have to admit. That's what I'll give you. Here's what I have to admit. Yeah. That I could leave at noon, my job at noon. Mm-hmm. Come home, make some ice cream for you, yeah. and take your $25. Sure. However, yeah. full disclosure yeah. compels me to admit right. that the moment I walk into my office for one minute, I'm, I'm already paid for the day. <laughs> so if I left at noon, right. I would still be paid for the entire day. That's Plus, I'd be getting your 25 bucks. So why don't you just go, just go to work for five minutes every day? Oh, God, that'd be sweet. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, the, it's like after a while, you're like, you know what? You know what they say? No one ever went, no one ever went to their grave wishing they'd work more. True. And uh, I think that's true. Yeah. All right, wait. So here's what we got. Yeah. Uh, we got some we classic. Get- uh, we got a classic uh, romantic comedy. We got a lot of stuff we didn't get to last week. What? Some television and foreign stuff. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna pick it up with some of that. But, um, yes, some, look, some new movie stuff. I want to talk just for a quick second about uh, these two movies, which I think have fame. We always talk about, you know, marketing schemes. And here you have exactly on Exploding Sun and The Colony almost exactly the same marketing scheme, which is three heads, right? Three of the actors. You put three heads at the top of the, the image, and then you put the title of the movie, and then you have some apocalyptic landscape at the bottom. And, you know, in Exploding Sun, it's all just fire and the end of the world and, you know, ap- apocalyptic looking. And, of course, in The Colony, it's all ice agey. You know, everything's frozen over. Uh, of the two of these films, I gotta tell you, Exploding Sun, uh, yeah, meh. it's a, you know, it's it's an, it's a it's a low budget apocalyptic uh, thriller that is, you can see the seams, you can see where they cut the corners. It's it's acceptable if you're kind of a crazy genre fan, but uh, you know, Michael Robson, who directed it, not not like he's not going to be any kind of a gigantic, huge uh, success. This uh, both of these films, by the way, essentially Canadian productions. Uh, so both of these films shot in and primarily with Canadian talent, which is interesting because it's uh, suggesting that there's like some crazy kind of now a g- genre uptick in Canadian cinema, 
which is interesting. I, I don't know really what to think about that. The only, uh, you know, uh, Julia Ormond is in this, and uh, she's kind of the only significant name that uh, really kind of holds it as something other than just a total throwaway. Um, but, uh, you know, there's so many of these apocalyptic end-of-the-world movies lately. Last week we talked about uh, This is the End, which kind of, you know, does it comedy style. Um, that you can't really look at this and just go, oh, wow, that's a new twist on it. So, um, you know, Mimi Leader needs to do another one of these. She's uh, long overdue for a comeback, don't you think? Well, she does like TV, right? Yeah, but she should be doing big features. No, I agree. She and should. she did a couple, and I don't know why it didn't take off. Now, The Colony, I was shocked, is so much better than I, really gave, I, I ever expected. Um, it's still not brilliant. I mean, it basically... Here's the thing. The Colony is al- it almost like it takes... Uh, uh, 28 days later or 28 weeks later pick, take your pick 28 days later basically it's like 28 days later meets The Thing John Carpenter's The Thing meets Alien that's what it is it's those three movies all kind of spliced together the, the premise and it's got uh, Bill Pax and Lawrence Fishburne in it um, and everybody else is Canadian it's a bunch of Canadian actors and then you get a couple of American names and then you, you, you know that brings the money and there you go you got your little genre film uh, the idea is that it's in, in the future. Uh, we tried to combat global warming by building these giant uh, weather machines. And, of course, these giant weather machines wound up being like out-of-control giant air conditioners. And they froze the planet. That's ridiculous. I know. It's, it's, it's utterly stupid. And, by the way, why, why, would they make, why would they make a global warming movie when they know that like half, half of America thinks that's like all phony junk science? And, yeah, like, but those, all- those people aren't going to go see this movie. Well, they would if it wasn't global warming. Know. It would be if it was something. Well, it's irrelevant. It doesn't make any sense. The, as it starts, the earth is in, like, it's all frozen over, and society's falling apart. It's all post-apocalyptic, and you have these little colonies, right? Nothing will grow. So there's little colonies where they're trying to grow seeds again, trying to hopefully, till the day when the ice melts, and we can grow plants, and we can have a civilization again. So everybody's clammed up in these little weird, like, insular colonies, and... If you get sick, this is the deal, right? If you get sick, you infect everyone else in the colony, and that's why as soon as someone gets sick, they're thrown out like, a, like, a, like an Eskimo on an ice floe. It's like, okay, dude, you're coughing, you're done. And Bill Paxton starts actually shooting people because he's just sick of it. He doesn't want people, you got the flu, I'm going to blow you away, bam. And Lawrence Fishburne runs the colony, the whole thing. Anyway, Mayday call comes in from another colony. They go out to check it out. And, of course, you know what they run into, and I'm not giving anything away here. It, 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 you know, it's like... Scary crap. It's a bunch of you know crazy cannibalistic loon balls who start chasing them back, and you know. I'm gonna guess what the last shot of this film is. What's the last shot? I've not seen the film. Yeah. Last shot of the film. You're absolutely right. It's the Backstreet Boys singing in heaven. Yeah. Exactly. How'd you know I was gonna say that? I know. Last shot of the film. Yeah. And you could just either shake your head or nod your head if I'm right or wrong. Last shot of the film is one single flower. Popped up from the snow to show that <laughs> the world's going to be okay. Am I right or wrong? Either shake your head or nod your head. Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, really? I'm kind of, yeah, I was kind of close, you're, right? You're, kind of, you're, you're, you're uh-huh. sort of in the neighborhood. Yeah, anyway. Anyway, uh, no, I was surprised. This was a much better film than I, than I expected it to be. Not that it's original. It's just very, very well done. Uh, Jeff Renfro, who directed it, uh, very capable. Um, it's, it's, it's better than it has any business to be it really is but i have to say this why is it that in movies when someone becomes a cannibal they also lose their ability to actually speak have you ever noticed that or like zombies every, all zombies do is go every, yeah but zombies there's a whole there's a whole culture to zombies that's like that's the sound zombies make but why if suddenly there's nothing around to eat and you decide to eat people uh, why suddenly are, do you is the only sound you're capable of uttering because if you sound like a grizzly bear all of a sudden because if you're a 
cannibal, presumably you're pretty stupid. Because if you're going to eat people, you're pretty stupid. After science so of the lambs, cannot even after science of the lambs, I think we are pretty well over that. I, I, yeah, I, but I we really have zombies. Do. I do. I think we're done with that. Zombies are awesome. Yeah, whatever. I love zombies. And then, uh, real quickly, uh, speaking of genre films, there's an old Alyssa Milano movie called Embrace of the Vampire, which I, I don't know anybody who uh, is really nostalgic for this movie who said, oh, man, I wish they'd remake that. Um, but apparently it has something of a following, and uh, they have remade it. And now the Blu-ray, the unrated Blu-ray of the original Alyssa Milano film Embrace of the Vampire is being released the exact same week as the Blu-ray DVD combo pack of the new unrated Embrace of the Vampire, which is uh, a lot more CW. Uh, it certainly, you can tell it's like, wow, that's got a real you know, CW vibe to it. And uh, incidentally, um, also a Canadian production. All this stuff's coming out of Canada. And uh, you know, yeah, it's an erotic vampire movie, but the the new one, I don't, and I don't, it's, I don't know why this had to be remade. They're both kind of the same movie, and yeah, one of them is a little splashier and more contemporary. But I don't know, really, uh, is that that important? Anyway, um, and isn't the vampire thing almost hasn't it almost run its course? Anyway, I hope, so. I sincerely hope so. Zombies rule. Vampires, forget it. Yeah, I'm over You're them done. all. I'm over them all. So anyway, uh, but just by way of pointing out, both both very capable Blu-rays. Uh, you know, audio image is perfectly fine. Not going to blow your socks off, but I don't. I just don't know that anyone loves the original that much or was clamoring for it to be remade. But there they go. Embrace the vampire. Two versions out the same week. Uh, Wade, um, here's a pretty bad film. This is a film from the director of um, Twilight, the first Twilight that was so bad that somehow wound up being made into a sequel after a sequel after a sequel, at which point it became a phenomenon. But yep. if it wasn't, if, if Catherine Hardwick's film was any worse, you never know. All I can say is um, she has not really uh, improved much since uh, Twilight. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a film called Plush. With Emily Browning, Xavier Samuel, and Cam Giganday, whatever his name is. Who, 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 who I don't who, know. Cam Gigan. All, all the girls love Cam Giganday. Anyway, and Cam Night and Day. Anyway, this is a completely inauthentic, uh, posy kind of rock character's piece, I guess. I'm, yep. I'm overpraising it by even calling it a character piece. Uh, it's about this this young girl. She's a she's like a rock star. She's on the rise. Yeah. And her brother dies of a drug overdose, and she falls into a spiral. And she winds up falling in love with uh, this new guitarist for the band who is very inspirational to her and blah, 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 blah. Uh, very cliched, not very good music. Everybody's just staring at their eyeliner and posing with their sunglasses. And I just think this thing is inauthentic at every turn. And I was not really into uh, plush. Quite bad, actually. Uh, so there you go. There's that. Now, wait, we have a... Um, we have a... Uh, Stand-up film. You know, we don't see a lot of stand-up comedy films much anymore. Concert yeah. films. The stand-up concert films. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. sometimes you see them. Yeah, actually, it's funny that... Martin that, Lawrence was like the last one. Yeah, but it's funny Yeah, it's funny that Kevin Hart's Let Me Explain would be out because um, I just watched on Netflix he's two nights big, ago. He's becoming a real big deal, man. Yeah, I'm not sure really about is. it yet. I just watched Eddie Murphy's Raw yeah. on Netflix. Yep. That was funny, man. That was really funny. Uh, Anyway, so Kevin Hart's uh, Let Me Explain, uh, Witness the Rise of a Legend. Okay, Rise of a Legend. I think that might be overstating it. But uh, there's some funny stuff in here, I guess. You know, I, here's the thing. I just want to know whether, is he a good storyteller? Uh, it, is, he, is he falling back on swear words because he has nothing actually to say? Kevin, nothing, Hart, nothing it, Kevin Hart is a good storyteller. He is but a funny man. He is a pretty good storyteller, and his 
stories do take these weird detours that are, can be pretty kind of funny, but then he folds it back to the original story, so he's, he definitely has his act down. Well, you know what? Kevin Hart is, is very much in the trajectory that was, you know, there's, there's a certain trajectory of stand-up comedy, particularly among black comics, that really began with Richard Pryor. And black comics pre-Richard Pryor were of a different breed. You know, you, you had kind of on the more commercial end, Godfrey Cambridge, and then on the much rawer end, Rudy Ray Moore, and then, you know, much more crossover uh, entertaining Bill Cosby. Richard Pryor changed that. You know, he was, he kind of... Uh, he was both. He was, he was, he was all of that, but he was, you know, he was, yeah, he was commercial and raw at the same time. He kind of fed into Eddie Murphy, who fed into Martin Lawrence, and all of that, I think, really feeds into Kevin Hart. I think he's very much a historian of the comics who came before him, what they did that worked. And he, you know, he, he comes from a very similar background, and he, he uses all of their tools, you know. He, he's kind of been handed this amazing tool set, and I think he uses it very effectively. That being said, have you you've seen the trailer for the new uh, the new Robert De Niro uh, Stallone boxing comedy thing? Yes, it looks thing? terrible. It looks terrible. However, you you've got to admit, you, you watch that trailer and you go, "I am not the least bit interested in Stallone or in De Niro. I don't care about either of them." But those supporting actor, the, the the two supporting performances by uh, Alan Arkin and Kevin Hart, look hilarious. Yes, don't both of them look amazing in that? They do. Uh, There's that one conversation in the trailer <laughs> where Alan Arkin calls him Webster. That is outrageously funny. You know that's funny. That was funny. He says, are you calling me Webster because you, you, you like my vocabulary? You're referencing, you know, the dictionary? Or, or is it because you're, 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 you know, it's because you're black? It's, uh, and you're small. You're, you're black and you're short. That's what it was. It's whole, so funny. I, I just want to know that eventually Kevin Hart will evolve into somebody who is either political or social or has something to say about his environment or his upbringing. Is, and, you know, it's not just like a random joke he's teller. Just, he, he's short. He, he's short, and he has fun being short. That's I think it's great. But uh, he's funny. He, he's, he's funny. You know, there's a little movie called Anything is Possible with the sub, with the sub uh, the, um, tagline, Music Can Heal a Broken Heart, which I think is interesting because uh, just recently at Toronto, the Weinsteins uh, just paid a bundle in a bidding war for the movie, um, Can a Song Heal a Broken Heart? You followed yes, that, right? Yes. And that, that is the first time I mean, that's got to be the first time in at least 16, 17 years that an independent film has yielded a bidding war of that nature. I, I, it has been a long time. You've got to go back to, like, Spitfire Grill to find, some, to find a, a festival film, an independent festival film, where there was suddenly this crazy bidding war and people actually had money to bid it up. Right. I mean, it's been a long time. So I, that bodes well. So I found that to be interesting that their tagline uh, is reminiscent of, the, of that movie. Um, that being said, it's not a great film, but it's an interesting film because it features this uh, this kid Ethan Bortnick, who is like this uh, this piano prodigy, and uh, you know he writes songs and performs them, and uh, you know very very impressive. I don't know if it's enough to sustain the movie, you know, this this ten year old kid, but um, it, it's a little bit maudlin. The whole kind of family uh, drama here, you know, his mom goes missing because she's in the military and she's overseas, and there's a whole thing that goes on. So it's a little bit maudlin, uh, and you know, when it, 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 there's a whole orphanage deal, it, it you, you you kind of feel like they're pulling your heartstrings just a little, like they're attaching them to a tow hitch and then driving them down the interstate. Uh, at a certain point, so you resist that. That being said, the kid's good. He's really good. 
So, uh, you know, if, if, if nobody worth watching in this of any note, Lacey Chabert is the only other person, and she's on the cover of, what is it, Maxim or something this month, trying to resurrect her, her, her dying career? Yes, after, uh, after leaving the Family Guy after one season. What's wrong with you her? You know that, right? I know. She was crazy. the voice of Meg in season this one and left. Nuts. Nice. Anyway, anyway, so apart from Lacey Chabert and the kid, uh, nobody of, of note in this thing, but um, if that even counts. Anyway, it's, it's, all, it's all right. You know, the kid's worth watching. Kid's worth watching. Yes, um, Wade? Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, here, I'll talk about these two. You know what? Let me, let me blow through these three, and then you can, you can finish off with those. Uh, Give Me the Loot is... Uh, I it sounds did, so laddish. I didn't really care for this at all. Uh, I was supposed to talk about this on NPR a few weeks ago, and it didn't make the cut that week. So I'll talk about it now. Um, This is uh, an MPI release, uh, part of the Sundance Selects contract. And uh, it's one of those low-budget New York grungy things. It's supposed to feel all kind of hip and improvised, whatnot. And uh, the whole thing centers around this, this goal of these kids who are graffiti taggers that they want to tag the home run apple of the Mets. Yay! Uh, <laughs> they better fail in that attempt. Well, the thing is, it's, you know, it really isn't that interesting of a, of a, of a film. That's not enough to sort of sustain it. And all of the, you know, all the other... What a stupid thing to want to bomb. All the, the things that they kind of throw into that, it doesn't really make it um, interesting. It's just, it's not an interesting character, tra- character trajectory. And the only reason this got released was because Jonathan Demme, for some reason, seems to have a connection through it and threw a, uh, a, pre- a presentation credit on it. So, not that interesting. Um, another movie that really has no business existing is He's Way More Famous Than You. I, um, there, were, uh, there were several points in this movie where I felt a very, very strong urge to um, uh, to take a hammer and and bash my own skull in, just to uh, to spare myself the just to, uh, just to end the torture, the end the torment, to end the torment. Uh, here's what this movie's about: Howie Pfeiffer. Do you know who Howie Pfeiffer is? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Pfeiffer's kid. You're right. She's Jules Pfeiffer's daughter. Really? Yeah. Wow. Jules Pfeiffer, of course, who is a legendary, you know. Uh, a legendary pop culture fixture, comic guy, comic historian, uh, cartoonist, and all that stuff. Anyway, his daughter, Hallie Pfeiffer, uh, has been in a few movies, and uh, she seems to think, like one of them is The Squid and the Whale, she seems to think that she's on the verge of fame. So she's made a movie um, that she wrote, or co-wrote, uh, in which it's all about her She plays herself and her quest for fame And it's like supposed to be kind of Very self-deprecating How she now, all these years after Squid and the Whale Jesse Eisenberg is famous And she's not, and she's trying to resurrect Her career and trying to make a movie in which she, And Ben Stiller has a cameo in it and, You know, there's all these people kind of like Threw her a bone and do a cameo uh, Natasha Leone has a cameo But I gotta tell you, it, it still stinks it's just not funny because she's so over the top. She's not funny, man. She's just not funny. And uh, I really, you start to feel sorry, terribly sorry for her, and then you want to kill her. And uh, this is a big deal this week. Notting Hill, uh, a movie which has sort of not maintained its reputation all that well, but I still think this is a fantastic movie. Roger Michelle uh, directed this. I think it's one of the great uh, romantic comedies of the 90s. Oh, I love this one. Ju- I remember. Ju- Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. Fantastic movie. I love this movie. I love this movie. I, I love this movie. Yep, I agree. Yeah. And you know what? I remember when this movie was over, I think you called me or something yeah. happened. When you, you said that there was one line in this film, which I know you're going to remember. There was one line in the film that like just actually just like 
the way Julia Roberts delivered it was to you like perfect rom-com yeah. acting. It's when she's standing in the bookstore yeah. looking at Hugh Grant and says something like, I'm just a girl looking for a... Yeah. Oh, a, my a, gosh. A that line. Love him or something. Oh, gosh. It's like, it's, it's like you had me at hello. You know, it's, it's, one it's, of those. it's one of those, and you just you just go, Richard Curtis. I just I, I I hate you. You're so good. You're so talented. You just come up with these gems, and they drip from the lips of movie stars like 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 manna from heaven. It's unbelievable. Yep, Notting Hill's great. Um, so yeah, Roger Michelle, great director, and then of course Richard Curtis wrote this. It's you know in the same vein with Love Actually, which by the way just came out in a brand new spanking uh, uh, anniversary edition that we'll be talking about on the holiday show. What? Because it's, it's a Christmas movie, basically. And, uh, you know, Richard, of course, before weddings, the funeral, you know, Richard Curtis, just a, an amazing screenwriter. And uh, when you put him together with Hugh Grant and a director like Roger Michelle and, of course, Julia Roberts in her prime, it just, it just doesn't get any better. And uh, Misha Barton, by the way, uh, made her film debut in this movie. She you, must have played somebody's daughter. You, you remember the, the, the press junket, which Hugh Grant, uh, uh, he crashes a press junket, pretends to be a, an interviewer, right. a journalist, just to kind of get back into Julia Roberts' orbit. And they move him into one of these press rooms. like, oh, yes, we'll go over here. And he winds up interviewing, you know, the, the, the young girl from the movie that Julia Roberts is in, which is Misha Barton, when she was like, you know, 12 or something. I did not know that. Yep. Sure enough. What happened to Misha Barton? Uh, she just got a DUI or something not too long no, ago. Oh, it's not happening. Yep, there you go. That's All right, it. Wade, uh, interesting film uh, that I will recommend that I bet you never heard of. A very, uh, it's a pretty good thriller. runs out of steam at the end, but I still liked it a lot, called The East. And The East was co-written by Britt Marling. Now, Britt Marling is a... Uh, I just don't get why she's a big deal, but... Well, you know what? She's not a big deal yet. The thing is that she's still waiting to star in, like, you know, like Godzilla 6 or something. And then she's uh, like a big indie deal. She's a big indie deal. Well, she she starred in uh, Another Earth. Which I think is so fabulously overrated. (laughs) Which I I, I, I did. Ray came out of Sundance. He's like, oh my gosh, After Earth is amazing. It's fantastic. And then I saw it and I'm like, you know what? This movie about the person who ingratiates themselves anonymously into the life of the person that they feel responsible for ruining their life, and then I'm waiting for the third act turning point when you have the Tootsie reveal. It's like, you're the person who ruined my life, and you got this close to me. Screw you. Well, I, I've seen that. It's like I've seen, I just saw it on an episode of Law and Order. That, that, that's been done a thousand times. Just because somebody like, like, you know, used After Effects and threw another Earth into the, into the thing, and you have a little existential radio play at the end, it doesn't make it different. Doesn't make it fresh. Stop it. Hate waves. Waves. Wade's hate waves. Anyway, here she plays an undercover operative for a uh, this intelligence firm, and she's got to infiltrate this eco terrorist cell. It calls itself the East, hence the name of the film. And uh, you know, there's a lot of the guy who directed the film, whose name I cannot uh, pronounce, but uh, he is her um, kind of. Partner, they've done mm-hmm. a couple of films together as writer and director. Yeah. Uh, the guy really knows how to put together a very thrilling set piece. Uh, there's a lot of impressively staged uh, thriller little bits here. Um, uh, there is a bit where Brit's character falls in love with a character played by Alexander Sarsgaard, and I didn't buy that at all uh, because here's this character who's like this Brit Marlin character who is so driven and so smart and so good under pressure and so good under fire that you can't see her falling for some handsome. Swedish guy. Yep. Uh, so I wasn't really into that. But um, I do like her, and I do like The East. I think it's one of those films that sort of fell through the cracks in terms of uh, thriller land. So I would recommend, definitely as a rental, uh, The East. Okay. I'm going to do that the, the whole show with that voice from now on. I God, I hope so. Yes, I will. Every week. Uh, you want to talk about that, and I'll blow through some foreign stuff. 
Oh wait, now that um, yeah, finish finish that off. Then then we're done. I think yes. Then we're done with the uh, the English language stuff, and then I can I can plow oh, really? through. Really, there's foreign stuff. There's there's a handful of foreign there's things. A lot here. of foreign things. Is, no, is there enough? Like, is there enough foreign things for me to maybe use the restroom while yes. you're talking, or yes. just get a drink of water while you're talking? You, you could use the restroom if you wanted. Really? Yes, you could take a bathroom break. <laughs> yes, go get go get a pass from the hall monitor. And it, oh my god, <laughs> that takes me back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, now that Jeremy Renner is uh, famous and Oscar nominated, we can uh, go ahead and just crank out all the old films that he did that suck and that he wishes would just stay buried forever. Uh, on that list, let's put Ingenious from 2009. This is with Dallas Roberts and Jeremy Renner. It's, uh, it's about these, uh, these two guys. One's an inventor. One's a kind of a sleazy salesman. And they come up with this crazy thing that won't tell you what it is and it becomes a worldwide phenomenon uh, I don't know what to say this thing is just incredibly not funny um, I think that Jeremy Renner was still kind of young he was still kind of working it out you know I like the fact that he's got some uh, wrinkles now makes him way more interesting and he's not really much of a little he's not really much of a rom-com type actor I, I, I do like the fact that the movie um, did have some kind of funny bits to it but I think ultimately this is one of those indie films that tries way too hard to be indie and yep. it just fails. So I'm not really into Ingenious, says me. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. Uh, so foreign. Let's, let's rip through the foreign. Do you want to make your bathroom break? I, I will get a drink of water. Okay, you get a drink of water. This will not take long. Codename Ruby is a film from Facets that if you are a fan of Jan Nemich or Nemec, uh, depending on how you want to pronounce it, who is one of the great Czech New Wave directors. Fascinating life to this guy. Um, this, is a, this is a really, really interesting movie. It is totally surreal. It is, uh, it is one of these kind of weird existential uh, mind-trippy movies that you often get from Eastern European directors, and uh, this is one that is really, really good. Um, the, the idea here is that you have a couple of people who are... Um, Looking there, there. Uh, I guess a, a way of putting this is it's almost like a a mysticalized version of uh, of uh, Antonioni's uh, La Ventura. Interesting. A little bit, right? You have a couple of people. These this this couple who are in Prague and they're looking for the Philosopher's Stone. But it's not really like it's not like you know uh, Nick Cage looking for the freaking you know its treasure map on the back of the Declaration of Independence. It's not an American treasure type deal. It's not a thriller. It's very existential. It's meditative. It's provocative. And it does visually a lot of kind of avant-garde things. There's documentary footage and there's other stuff in it. It's actually really, really interesting and, and uh, very aggressive stylistically and uh, definitely, worth, definitely worth watching, especially if you're a fan of the uh, Czech New Wave. Made in 1997 after he came back to Czechoslovakia after years of exile because he, he left and you know, didn't get back until uh, 1989. Uh, when the Velvet Revolution happened. So that's an interesting movie. That's definitely worth checking out. Um, then, going real quickly through these, Johnny Toe's Drug War. Not the best Johnny Toe movie ever, but certainly stylish and interesting. They had this in, uh, I believe this was in competition at Cannes. It definitely screened at Cannes. And it got a little bit pilloried for not having enough action in it, which I thought was interesting, because Johnny Toe's movies... They're not exactly wall-to-wall -wall action. I don't know what people are expecting. They have action, but it's not like he's John Woo. You know, Johnny Toe makes... Johnny Toe's movies oftentimes have these really very dark psychological 
sequences to them. And uh, he's, he's to me, he's a bit like uh, like Mike, where he's very oh, prolific. He, he makes like fifty movies a year. It's but, ridiculous. And so, you know, his batting average never is, stops. Yeah, exactly, never stops. So it's yeah. Is it is it as good as uh, some of his other stuff? No, but is it worth seeing? Absolutely. Uh, you know, especially that it's now it, it, it gets into the uh, you know the meth industry in China, which is uh, you know obviously something that's now taken over the world ever since uh, Breaking Bad got everybody hooked on meth. Uh, so there you go. So that's on. Uh, that is a Blu-ray, and it is a sharp Blu-ray from Wellgo, who does fantastic jobs with all of their Blu-rays, especially the uh, the Asian pickups, which is their specialty. Uh, the uh, Gus Van Sant presents. Lawrence Anyways, L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E, the French Laurent spelling of Lawrence. Uh, Gus Van Sant got behind this movie, which features the, uh, from Xavier uh, Dolan, featuring Natalie Bai and some other very, very good French language actors. And I got to say, uh, I don't know if this would have gotten any traction if uh, Gus Van Sant had not gotten behind it. It would have just been another Canadian, French-Canadian, you know, French language uh, art film oddity. Um, Xavier Dolan is not one of my favorite French-Canadian filmmakers. I love a lot of French-Canadian filmmakers, but sometimes they really, really get out on the, on the edge. Um, this is, um, you know, this is uh, just a, uh, a, an interesting gender-bending psychological look at someone who wants to become transgender. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think in, it gets a little too preachy and maybe doesn't give you enough insight into the characters and into the psychology. But that being said, if the subject is of interest, uh, then by all means hang with it. The movie Aliyah from the from film movement uh, is actually pretty good. This was in the uh, director's fortnight at Cannes. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's not bad. It's about a drug dealer in Paris who is Jewish and who wants to be able to um, go to Israel. So it is about the rather illicit effort that he makes in order to um, be able to make that immigration or that migration or emigration. And um, it's, you know, it's about a single individual who makes some very, very tough choices. And uh, I think it's not great, but it's certainly good and very, very well acted and includes an interesting short film called On the Road to Tel Aviv. Um, much better and more entertaining is uh, With Love from the Age of Reason. This is in one of these really slimline eco packages that First Run Features now uses for all their stuff. And I find this movie irresistible because it has Sophie Marceau in it. In any movie with Sophie Marceau, uh, I'm smitten. That's it. I am just straight up smitten. It is a wonderful, wonderful, uh, old-fashioned uh, look at, um, at just human relationships with Sophie Marceau just glowing, unbelievably glowing in it. And uh, essentially the idea here is that um, there's a letter that she receives on her birthday that she wrote when she was seven years old. And it's about the effect that her childhood self has on her adult self. And I'll leave it at that. It's just, it's very, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. It's something that makes you almost want to do what she did and makes you wish that you had that person, you know, in your life again, who you were. Because it's not enough when you look in photos and stuff. It's really, it's very sweet. And it's who very, I was was a very loser. nicely done. I was a loser. If I wrote a letter to myself, I would probably say, Mark, at 20, you're a loser. First straight film from uh, Danish director Tobias Lindholm on uh, Blu-ray is A Hijacking. This is an outstanding film from Magnolia. It is a great Blu-ray transfer because the film's really gritty in the way that it was shot. Really interesting that this is coming out now. I, I don't know that they even... They must have 
it's kind of long-term timed it this way because this came out about three months ago in theaters and it's now coming out on Blu-ray literally at the exact same time as Captain, as Captain Phillips. Phillips. Yeah. Now, it's a better film than Captain Phillips. I have seen it. Indeed it is. Uh, Captain, better film than Captain Phillips by a long shot. Captain Phillips is an interesting incident, but this is a straight-up story. And you can, it's all, they're all, all about different people. Captain Phillips is primarily about the guy, the captain of the ship, right? The captain of this ship is almost superfluous. He's, he's a negligible figure. This is about the hijacking of a Danish ship. And it, it, there's no sort of like seals that come in a thing with the... No, the whole ship gets hijacked. And the, there are two... It focuses on two figures. One is the cook on the ship, who is like the lowest of the low, right? He's, you know, he kisses his wife goodbye and he goes and he's going to cook all this food in the dirty kitchen of this ship that has a very small crew and a lot of cargo and no way of defending itself. And while he is dealing with the stress of the situation of being in the middle of the hijacking, you intercut between him and the CEO of the shipping company who is this high-powered deal-maker. You see him negotiate with the Japanese. He is a tough-as-nails dude. He cuts the big deals, and then suddenly the ship is hijacked, and literally the negotiation of having to deal with hijackers almost obliterates him. Like, this guy who can make these huge multinational deals, with having to deal with hijackers and pirates, it pushes him to the limit. It almost tears him apart. And he's got this Scottish guy, right, who advises him on how to deal with, uh, you know, hijackers. It's a totally different deal. This could take six months. This could take a year. It could take two years. And it pushes him to the limit. And you look at how this event affects two different men, one rich, one, you know, not rich, uh, one the CEO, the other one just the, the lowest of the low on the crew. One of them's in the middle of it. The other one is, you know, a, a, a thousands of miles away. And yet they are totally equal in the stress of the situation. It's an amazing film. It's really, really good. And I wish Captain Phillips had been as sharp. That, that reminds me of, what was that Ronald Neem film? It was one of the first, like, red wire, blue, ro- blue wire thrillers. Oh, what was that? And uh, it yeah. did have scenes of, like, the, um, the owner of the shipping company... Yeah. That made the ship. And if my internet wasn't down right now, I could figure it out. It's okay. It's okay. It's you all keep good. going. It's all good. I'll I'm keep going. I'm going to sit here until my internet figures it out. And I'm going to let you know what that movie got, is. You got it. Uh, the, uh, the last foreign language film that we have got today is a gem. This is a Criterion box set. Uh, three films by Roberto Rossellini starring Ingrid Bergman. If you don't know the history of this, uh, Ingrid Bergman, well, everyone should know that Ingrid Bergman eventually married Roberto Rossellini and uh, that they have a daughter together who would be Isabella Rossellini. So, who looks like her mom, but she's got her dad's dark hair. Well, he wasn't Ronald Neem. wasn't Ronald Neem. Well, no, it, was, it was a movie about, it was about a hijacking, it was about a, a, a ship a, taken over by terrorists, red wire, blue wire. And there were scenes, and oh, this is going to consume me for the you, rest you of the show. You work on that, and I will finish oh, uh, this. Oh, what is it? The three films are Stromboli, Europe 51, and Journey to Italy. Of course, their relationship was scandalous at the time, and it uh, really made uh, Isabella Rossellini kind of persona non grata in Hollywood for, for a little while. Um, but Richard uh, Lester. Richard Lester in what Yes. Film? Juggernaut. Oh, Juggernaut. Yeah, sure. That was it. What a good call. Movie. Good good callback, bro. Well done, dude. Juggernaut. That was it. Oh, that's a good one. Well done. All right. <laughs> no, well, anyway. <laughs> these are... I'm not done yet. Okay. It was Richard Harris, Omar Sharif. Well. Uh, I'm, I'm reading this off of IMDb. Uh, a maniac is threatening a navigation company to blow up one of its luxury transatlantics. With 1,200 okay. people on board. Well, there An experienced anti-bomb squad is sent to the ship. Okay. All right. 
Well, anyway, these three films with Rossellini and Bergman, uh, they're all wonderful films. They are not Bergman's best films. They are not Rossellini's best films. But they are very good films, and they are significant because these are the films they made together uh, where their affair kind of blossomed and uh, their eventual marriage, the seeds were sown. And um, they are really, really, they're just really first-rate films. And uh, you should check it out. Uh, Stromboli, uh, Europe 51, uh, in Europa 51 and Journey to Italy and then there's also the uh, I should point out with Stromboli there are two different versions on here there's the English language version and then there is also the Italian language version so uh, it's a pretty comprehensive set with tons of extras I can't even get into this I mean like there are a, a new interview with uh, Isabella Rossellini and um, uh, her sisters and you know, it's just there's just so much stuff. It's unbelievable. There's this uh, really cool um, uh, short film called "My Dad Is 100 Years Old," which was directed by Guy Madden with Isabella Rossellini in it. Of course, Isabella Rossellini has been in you know other Guy Madden stuff. Um, 1952 short film that was directed by Rossellini with Bergman, uh, which called "The Chicken." I mean, there's just so much stuff. It just goes on and on and on. So if you were a fan of Rossellini and Bergman, you could sit around for probably three or four days and and just you know, not leave the house. It's really a, a great set. Criterion has done a wonderful job. The packaging, I'm not exactly thrilled with. It's that kind of cheap uh, digipack, you know, sleeve packaging, but I can live with it. Oh, fine, Wade. I can live with it. You can live with it. I can live with it. Uh, Let's do this, some docs. Oh, docs. Well, here, after highly recommend a very interesting doc that uh, is so controversial, I'm kind of not surprised it didn't get wider play. This is a great effort by... Uh, co-directors of Bill Duke and D. Chanison Berry called Dark Girls. Now, you know, obviously in America, unfortunately, we'll never get rid of racism, and racism will always be with us because uh, basically we're a bunch of idiots. But what's interesting about Dark Girls is that it gets into not necessarily the roots of racism, but the roots of racism within the African-American community and how people within the African-American community and outside of the African-American community look at not only just, let's say, African-American women with light-skinned black women versus dark-skinned black oh, women. Oh, the whole, the, whole, the whole skin color deal. Yes, and yeah. how if you're a, a light-skinned black woman who maybe doesn't, who maybe talks quote-unquote white, maybe you grew up in a, in a neighborhood where there was like a lot of white kids at school, maybe that actually sets off certain aspects of the African-American community who consider themselves a little bit more like, you know, authentically black. And so it's, it's almost about racism within a community that already has enough racism from the outside and why are they worrying about it on the inside you know within their wow. family it just doesn't make sense so it's a very interesting documentary it uh, says a lot of great things about just the, the the nature of prejudice and and how you know if you give us enough time we will find something to hate about everybody we will find some prejudice that will make us put you in the box and you know pull out our talking points and our cliches and just hate you for what you look like. I'm going to watch that. And uh, it's really, really interesting. interesting. It's, I'm, you know, it's so controversial, and it's, uh, I'm not surprised it did not get wider play. But it is very interesting stuff, and uh, congrats on Duke and Barry for tackling the subject. Uh, I wish it had gotten uh, at least a theatrical. It's hard to say. But uh, anyway, uh, a terrific film, Dark Hills. From uh, the... People at TMW, tell me why, who do a lot of uh, really interesting documentaries. Um, we have a really fascinating quartet of documentaries here. Three of them are from the Civil War documentary series, and the other one is the part of the frontier history of bourbon whiskey. And I'll start with that one. Um, this is a winner of an award called the Bronze Telly Award. Ooh, give me that. I'm going to watch it. 
Serious? I love I love bourbon and, and whiskey. Okay, well, good because this is the whole. I, I, I didn't see it. Bourbon in Kentucky is the name of this, and it is uh, it is a history distilled. Uh, you know, uh, my father's people come from Kentucky. My father was born in Kentucky, so I have a little bit of connection to uh, to that. I have a lot of family still in Kentucky. Haven't been there in you know since 1975, when I was uh, a fetus. <laughs> Not quite. Anyway, uh, no, this is about the, uh, the, you know, going all the way back to the uh, 18th century and uh, the, the distilling of uh, freaking bourbon and, uh, you know, the whole idea of making whiskey and bourbon is really... Well, bourbon, as you know, yes. Wade, we'll fill me bourbon in. is whiskey. I know. It is whiskey made in Kentucky. Exactly. With at least 51% corn mass. See, there you go. You, 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 I, you, I've watched this, and you know more. You still know more about it than I do, because I, re- I don't drink, so I don't, I don't really get it. But anyway, uh, interesting stuff, though, because there's a lot of. Here's the thing that makes it so interesting: is that there's all kinds of historical documentation going all the way back to that period that they have in this documentary. So it's like the, the, it's not just like, well, this is my great grandpappy's recipe. Pat, no, it's like they actually have the written stuff. So well, that's a, part of the reason why bourbon consumption. That's part of the appeal of bourbon consumption because yes. you feel like you are drinking something that is exactly the same as when it was first distilled in go. Kentucky in 1840-whatever, and you can draw a direct line between 1840-whatever and there the you bourbon go. you're drinking right now at your local bar. There and that's go. kind of the, the – for me, that's kind of the appeal of, uh, of something like bourbon. The so other I'm three, watch this, Wade. I did it. not see it. I'm going to take it. this and watch it. The other three documentaries, Long Road Back to Kentucky, the 1862 Confederate Invasion, Unsung, His- uh, Unsung Hero, the story of the horse in the Civil War, and Retreat from Gettysburg, Lee Logistics and the Pennsylvania Campaign. Um, these are all really amazing. All of these, again, have won Telly Awards. Uh, a couple of them, the Silver Telly Award, the other one, the Telly Award. I don't know what the Telly Award is. I'm going to be honest with you. All it's of these award. have won the Telly Award. I don't know what it is. Never it's heard of it before. It's a word about uh, tellies. But these tellies of all uh, wins it every year. There you go. Exactly. I don't know what that uh, means. But they're really, really good documentaries. They are not just these very, very broad. In fact, if you've seen uh, Ken Burns' The Civil War, this is stuff that he skips right over. And as comprehensive as that is, there are all of these little tentacles to the various nuances of things that go on in the Civil War. Little scholarly uh, anecdotes and kind of microcosmic events and incidents. And uh, really very impressively put together here. Uh, one of these is actually based on a book, uh, Retreat from Gettysburg, Lee Logistics, and the Pennsylvania Campaign. That is a, originally a book, and they adapted that book into a, into a doc here. Really well done, uh, high production value, excellent photography. And, uh, you know, I, I, there's so much about the Civil War that I, I just think people aren't aware of, sufficiently aware of. And so this is, it's really, really com- incredibly compelling to go to these places hear the stories and just realize you know in this nice pastoral area where there are suburban homes today this is the crap that went down you know uh, 150 some odd years ago so um, pretty sharp pretty sharp stuff I like it yep. I'm on board good. good week for uh, documentaries uh, Wade uh, let's do some TV no yes TV? TV. TV TV television um, season it's the golden age of television what? you know they say they say it's the golden age of television it, you know what it is it's the golden age of cable television yeah there you go I don't know if it's the golden age of network television uh, volume 2 of anger management Charlie Sheen now uh, here's the thing with this you know Charlie Sheen's uh, this show did not uh, nobody really liked this show nor did it do very well however last year FX renewed it for 90 episodes now the whole thing is that uh, the thing with 90 episodes is not because the 90 episodes were, were not because the show's that good, but because they know if they can just gang produce 
just crank out like a machine, like a factory of bad comedy. 90 episodes, they'll save money. Yes. So they crank them all out at the same time. Exactly. It's easier to make Avatar 2 and 3 at the same time. Yep. But they can take those 90 episodes and they can sell them overseas. Yep. And they can make so much money that it is freaking leaveable So, um, you know, even though the premiere might have been like the most watched basic cable scripted comedy ever, mm-hmm. still, you know, the show, you know, it's, uh, it's lacked since then. It's not great. It's not that funny. And Charlie Sheen is done melting down. So, you the know. Movie was, the movie wasn't any good. And the movie wasn't very good. No. But, you know, look, Bruce Helford, uh, the EP, thought he, um, thought he saw something in it. And uh, got Charlie Sheen, which seemed yeah, like inspired guess. casting, I guess, at the time. But uh, Charlie Sheen does not seem to me a guy who was like quality oriented, so I, I don't really um, understand. But uh, anyway, so that's Anger Management Volume Two. Uh, a lot of unfunny stuff on there. Uh, Robot Chicken Season Six. This is a, a show that keeps on going. It's probably very cheap to do, and uh, it's one of those like we talked about last week with This Is the End, one of those inmates running the asylum sort of shows. Um, but they only have to kill a quarter hour because don't forget these these robot chickens are only uh, fifteen minutes long. But I like them. I think they're funny. Yeah, I really do. I'm I think they're funny do. little vignettes. <laughs> you don't like them? Uh, you know, it's just enough already. No, they're, uh, they're 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 hilarious chickens. Yeah, all right. Psych is one of those USA shows that uh, is just about a bunch of guys who do crazy things. I don't understand US USA shows are just <laughs> the worst. You know, there's like Burn Notice and yeah. Psych and, and Burn Psych and yeah. just a bunch of... We got more. Of that. We did Bones is another one, and I'm going to be talking about Bones in a second, too. not good. Anyway, this is the seventh season. This show is coming in for a crash landing. I think they're actually done. Um, and I, you know what? I cannot name anybody in this show. I, I don't know what these guys, these two guys, uh, Dulé Hill and mm-hmm. James Roday, I don't know what they're going to do with their lives now that the show is over because I see nothing in them other than Psych. Um, so anyway, that's psych. Now, wait, as you know, you're giving me this. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> because, know. Because this is a Family Guy, I know. Volume you, 11. You, you, you know what's funny is guy. that I'm such a nerd. Even though every episode of Family Guy is on Netflix, yes. I still want the Blu-rays. I don't care. I know. I don't care. I know. I'm going to have it. I hear you. I will have it. I totally agree with you. Uh, this was a... Yeah, I have are, to you, say, are you ever going to uh, subscribe to Amazon Prime? I am not. And why, why would I do well, that? Well, I don't know, because there's stuff on Amazon Prime that's not on Netflix and vice versa. How much is it? Same amount, like six or seven bucks. But the thing is about Amazon Prime, it, it also gets you free shipping on all your Amazon stuff. Ooh. So it pays, if you, if you buy a lot of stuff from Amazon, it eventually pays for itself. So you buy a lot of stuff on Amazon, do yeah, d- Dude, freaking, are you like kidding me? Like baby stuff or like, something? Yeah, diapers, Flo. hello, fluff. <laughs> buying up buying buying diapers and baby rattles and all that stuff, you know, it's like, yeah, one month that pays for itself, dude. You're out of your mind. Oh, yeah. So I will be the first to admit that uh, Family Guy is uh, running out of steam. In fact, the um, season premiere a couple weeks ago was really not very good. Um, now, I'm not sure if that's because uh, Seth MacFarlane has spread himself too thin. With He's doing the Ted sequel now. and you know He had hosted the Oscars and did the original Ted, and he's got the Cleveland show. He's got an empire to run. Um, but there's still funny stuff here. The fu- I, I, I like the episode where Quagmire um, starts to hit on Meg, who had just turned 18. Actually, there's a very funny, in that episode, yeah. uh, the episode where uh, Meg turns 18, there's a very funny spoof of the um, Teen Choice Awards, mm-hmm. which if you would even give Family Guy half a chance, you would totally laugh at the spoof of the Teen Choice Awards, where at the end, 
Wilford Brimley runs out with a shotgun and kills all the teenagers. Sweet. How can I like that? Nice. Exactly. That's good. That's good. I'm anyway, fine. Family Guy Volume 11. I love it. I love Family Guy. I admit all right. it. I admit it. You know, got a couple of old television classics here, and this one is fantastic. I just, uh, well done, Warner Brothers. Uh, Warner Brothers has released Nichols, the complete series. I mean, you're thinking, Nichols? What the hell is Nichols? About Nichelle uh, Nichols, who played Uhura? And not about currency. Uh, no wooden nickels. Nickels, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, starring James Garner, ran for only one season, 24 episodes in 1971 and 72, and then it was canceled, and that's too bad, because it's a really cool kind of late-period western set in 1914. James Garner as, uh, the, uh, as a sheriff of a small town. Um, you know, it's sort of like it's, it's not really the West anymore, but it's kind of, it's pre-World War One. it's post-industrial revolution, it's, uh, it, and it's in an area where it still kind of feels like the West, so it's... Uh, it's it's a it's a you know it's a really really interesting scenario. The nice thing is it was created by Frank Pearson, the uh, the Oscar Oscar uh, nominated screenwriter who wrote uh, Cat, Dog Day Afternoon, Cat Ballou. He among wrote Dog others. Day Afternoon. I think he may have written Cat. Uh, Hang on, let yeah. me check. Checking. Check I might it. be wrong on that. Yeah. Well, um, Frank Pearson was uh, previously president of the Writers Guild. He was a big big. Uh, yeah, see that Dog so Day Look at that. You see, I might be getting You're older. The man. And but uh, the memory still serves. He, he was doesn't pre- it? Whatever your it name does. Is. <laughs> whatever your name is. <laughs> he was president of the Writers Guild, uh, and he was also a neighbor of mine until he died last year. I used to see him drive uh, by all the time, all the time. Used to see him at like uh, you know occasionally like uh, homeowners association events and things like that. Sweet man, always kind of sat in the corner, never kind of said, "I'm an Oscar guy, a big screenwriter, I'm a big shot, I run the writers." Never, there was no ego about him. Just oh, the oh, sweetest man in the world. Oh, okay, you ready? And I'm Hang so on. glad. Yeah. S- since we're uh, we're movie people, okay. Now I'm not making this up. I I'm, I'm reading this off IMDb. Here's a couple of Frank Pearson uh, credits. Yeah. A couple movies you might have heard of. Sure. Cool Hand Luke. Yep. Come on. Dog Day Afternoon, one of my all-time favorite films. He's, he, yeah. Star is Born, the Chris yep. Christopherson. Oh, Barbara he wrote Spice that too? Was. Did he really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, he also wrote uh, Presumed Innocent, the... Um, That's right. Harrison Ford. Uh, and, That's right. And he also wrote a couple of episodes of Mad Men. Wow, So no he kind of kept himself uh, fresh. Wow. Well, you know? He, you know, Nichols was... It should have been... It should have run longer. James Garner is so, so good in it. And, uh, you know, and unfortunately, it's probably... Uh, you know, it came at a period when... Westerns were a little bit dying out, right? Kind of the tail end of uh, Big Valley, Bonanza, and, uh, you know, Gunsmoke. That whole, that whole trajectory was a little bit petering out. And Kung Fu was really the only Western from this period that sustained for a period of time because it had Kung Fu in it. It had a, it had a different angle. But anyway, uh, Nichols, pretty sharp thing. Margot Kidder, Kidder, by the way, in this thing, a young Margot Kidder, she looks like Kristen Stewart. It's creepy. It's just wrong. I, you know what? I was watching, uh, or not, well, maybe see, I saw a clip or something of Superman, you know, with Margot Kidder. Yeah. And there was a time when we thought she was, a, she was cute. No, not me. Really? Never, no. I, I never no. thought she was like, I want to sleep with her cute, but no. she seemed like spunky cute. No. And now you're like, no. we thought that was cute? No, she, always, she was always skanky to me. She was always <laughs> skanky. She, 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 she was skanky. You know, she, she always, in 1978, she was skanky. She, damn right. Damn right. What she, was, she, what was Superman, 77? It, it was just like that, that voice. It just, oh, it's like you have, I don't know, you, you've been like, it sounds like you just had a, a pack of Marlboros and chased it with a gallon of whiskey. It just, there's something wrong. It just didn't work. But anyway. Uh, season one of Gentle Ben, starring Dennis Weaver and Clint Howard. Of course, Clint Howard, the brother of Ron Howard. They were both child television stars roughly around the same time. Uh, well, Ron Howard was on the uh, Andy Griffith show. His, his brother, Clint, was on Gentle Ben, playing with a bear. And uh, it is a cute show. It was one of a series of shows that were all about animals and kids. The, you know, Flipper, and there's a whole bunch of you know, animals and kids. Doctari. Gentle Ben. Anyway. Uh, Lassie, right? They were uh, just a, you know, there was a trend at the time, and 
That damn bear scared the crap out of me when I was a little kid. Sharky the shark. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you know that exactly. Yes, yeah, sure, I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> she had a pet shark. Yeah. Hen- Henry the Hammerhead was yeah, yeah. the spin off. Yeah. That's not I remember funny. that. No. See, mine was funny. Okay. Bridge was, you see, okay. you took the comedy All right. way yeah. beyond its expiration. Sta- Stan- Stanley Silverfish? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Anyway. Aren't silverfishes are little tiny, squirmy little insect things? Yes, that eat paper and glue. Really? Yes. You didn't know that? No. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Silverfish <laughs> Well, cl- clearly we need to get this building a little more infested. Anyway, here's the thing about Clint I had Howard. Like two months ago. Here's the thing about Clint Howard. Now, season one, it's perfectly fine. Listen, it's got audio commentaries with Clint Howard and his dad, Rance Howard. No, I'm not. We got a show to do here. And and their dad, Rance Howard, uh, do some audio commentaries because Rance Howard, you know, was pushing his kids to uh, do uh, mo- you know TV and movies at the time. And uh, by the way, Ron Howard, freaking Rush, best film he's ever made. Best film he's ever made. Really, you think? Yeah, it's the be- so it's unbelievable. Best film he has ever made. It's great. Uh, so anyway, Gentle Ben. Here's the thing about Clint Howard. Even though you know uh, he's perfectly fine in Gentle Ben, my memories of Clint Howard are twofold. He is uh, he did not exactly turn out to be a looker as an adult. So Ron throws him a bone in all of his movies. I don't think he's in Rush actually. I, I didn't. I don't That's know. impossible. He's been in all. I his, did not. Uh, I have I, I, not heard or you know. I can't. Right. I don't think he's in Rush. To be honest, Ooh, that might be you know the what first that means? time. Falling now, out, falling out. Either falling out <laughs> or because because every rush is critically acclaimed. Yes. Even though it's not doing that. And well. he decided that his brother was going to drag it down. Yes. <laughs> it all takes place in Europe. Where are you going to have a spot for your brother in that movie? Really? So there, well, there are no yes, American. There's not an American anywhere in that movie. There's got to be some guy, some pit guy who fills up the gasoline. But with that gasoline being said, the, Clint Howard either scares me whenever he, his mug shows up in a Ron Howard movie. I kind of go, ooh, or I look at him and I think, oh, Tranya. <laughs> and there we go. And I don't think I need to say anything else, do I? No, no, I don't. I really don't. Tranya, that's all. Uh, that's all you should know. You know what? Go- Google it if you don't get the reference. I'm getting a cat. I'm naming the cat Tranya. <laughs> Somebody's got. I bet somebody in the world is named their cat all right, Tranya. How's carry on. We're running out of time. We got a haul. All right, uh, Heart of Dixie is a uh, horrible CW show, just like all the other horrible yeah. CW shows. This stars uh, what's her name, uh, Rachel Bilson from the OC. And she plays a doctor who goes down to uh, Alabama, and she's trying to make it. Big city, goes to Alabama. Everyone's all beautiful because everyone on the CW. I want somebody on the CW to have a body mass index <laughs> of, I mean, something reasonable. We're like, they're actually like people who would really exist in the world. Yeah. But uh, that doesn't happen. No. I will never. say this, though, Wade. Uh, in, in, in the second season, um, the one thing I did notice about uh, Rachel Bilson's character is that... Um, she, she's got these guys, a couple guys, a couple suitors uh-huh. that she's interested in. One of them is named George. The other's name, Wade. Okay. So Rachel Bilson is deciding between George and Wade. Yeah, yeah. You being Wade. Yep, totally. Anyway, I don't like this show, but it's uh, 22 episodes, and, uh, you know, it's just another CW blah, blah. I'm just not really into the CW shows at oh, all. I admit it. American Horror Story Asylum. Now, this thing was uh, nominated for 17 Emmys. I just don't understand it. I don't get it. 17 Emmys. I don't know why. But it's got Jessica Lange, and you can't beat that. And uh, this season, you know, he kind of, they redo it every year. It's like the same yep. creepiness, but different uh, families. I mean, there's some... Parallels between, over that cross the seasons, but it's essentially a new story each season. Right. This one has Zachary Quinto, who played uh, Spock in the Star Trek films, James Cromwell, who we love, and Sarah Paulson. Um, this one, you know what? I like the fact that FX, again, they're carrying the torch for uh, interesting, creepy, atmospheric, funky types of uh, shows. Yep. And I think there's something to be said. It okay. really is. And you were saying before how it's like a, it's like a golden age of TV. Yep. But this, even though this 
this show may not prove it's a golden age of TV. It sure. proves that TV is willing to go places that make people want to stay home and watch TV instead of go to movies. Right. You know, so say what you will about it. Uh, Asylum is uh, pretty creepy, pretty good. Uh, the third season, which is Coven, which has that very provocative uh, uh, key art, which you guys may have seen at uh, you know bus stops around yep. uh, your town, uh, that one's coming soon. Okay, what else on TV? Glee, fourth season of Glee. This thing keeps going. Now, of course, obviously, uh, um, next season or the season that just began uh, goes without Cory Monteith, who uh, died a few months ago tragically, and uh, this show just keeps going. Although without Cory Monteith, we'll see if the show starts to kind of lose some of its steam. Um, and yeah, what can I say about Glee? I, I thought it was cute at the beginning. I have to say, I saw a couple episodes. I totally get it. It was very poppy and colorful and fun. It had a great energy. You know, now it's kind of like now it's like okay, what uh, what bands music are they going to have this week? Oh, the Beatles. All right, uh, I guess because I'm old, I'll watch that one because it has the Beatles, and uh, you know, young kids could like the fact that it's in high school. So it's really trying to straddle that line between you know young younger viewers who enjoy the high school environment. And getting the older viewers who maybe groove on the idea of them singing songs from bands that are of a certain age. So I get it. I just think it's going to start running out of steam soon because after a while, these kids can't go to school forever. These kids cannot be in glee school forever, Wade. All right, Mark, we are running out of time. So I'm going to haul and I'm going to go through a couple of pairings here, a handful of pairings of things that go together. You ready for this? Oh, wait, peanut butter and jelly. All right, the first, Petticoat Junction and the Beverly Hillbillies. That's right. They were all part of CBS's rural lineup. And uh, back in the, in the late 60s, it was canned when uh, all these uh, new shows came in that were like Mary Tyler Moore Show and uh, All in the Family. And because uh, the rural people were making their own stuff and advertisers weren't able to sell to them. So all the hillbilly shows went away. But we still have them on DVD. And the 50th anniversary edition of Petticoat Junction, the third season, and the Beverly Hillbillies, the official fourth season, as Walmart exclusives are out. Remember, Petticoat Junction spun off uh, Green Acres which is still not out in the rest of the seasons. Two, two or three seasons came out. I'm still waiting for the rest of it. Come on, man. Hurry it up. I need you know the rest why? of my Green Acres. Because nobody wants them. Petticoat Junction and the Beverly Hillbillies, absolutely classic television, wonderful. And both of those seasons are terrific. How I Met Your Mother and the New Girl, because millennials are quirky and funny and weird. Right? That's why these two shows go together. This is the eighth season of How I Met Your Mother and the second season of New Girl. I really do like New Girl, i got to tell you. But I'm just a, a Zoe Deschanel fan, always have been. I think she's just a luminous presence, and she, she should get paid uh, tons of money for what she does on this show, because the guys are okay, but she just rips it up and uh, is incredibly funny. How I Met Your Mother, of course, entirely rides on uh, the presence of um, Jason, uh, Jason Siegel and, uh, you know... Steve? Our, no. What do you... <laughs> no. Uh, no, of Jason... Jimmy, Jack, uh, Joe, Jeff, John, George. That guy. That guy. Neil Patrick Harris? Yeah. <laughs> Kidding me? Uh, so did, did, did you not remember his name? Did no, I did. No, I did. Name? But you started interrupting me, and I was like, "That's what I do." That's a weird, man. <laughs> and then, oh, families aren't families weird? The neighbors in Modern Family. Families are so quirky. Uh, we have the fourth season of Modern Family on Blu-ray. Uh, it's still a very funny show, but too much like The Office. I don't like the whole faux documentary thing. I think it's a bit of a cheat, but still, it's it's well written. I just I just wish they wouldn't have used that device. Uh, looking great on Blu-ray. They do a very very good job for for a comedy, but it's a single camera show, so they do a good job. And then The Neighbors. Uh, complete first season on DVD. This is an ABC show that's trying to do what Modern Family does and a little bit of what um, 
uh, Suburgatory does, not doing it quite as well as, uh, as those shows. But, you know, Jamie Gertz, it's nice to see her show up again. I love, I've always loved Jamie Gertz. And, uh, you know, it's like a little bit like her character on, um, on uh, Square Pegs. And then lastly, oh, the, you know, Bones and White Collar. You know, we got to solve crimes and we got to wise crack at the same. See, White Collar, none of those stupid USA, USA shows. shows. I, don't I know what they are. I know. But you know what? Uh, here's the thing about White Collar is that, uh, what's his name on this show? Uh, is it Tim Decay? Which, which one of the George guys? George Decay? Uh, no, it's Matt Bomer. Matt Bomer, that guy. Matt Bomer, he's going to play um, Montgomery Clift in a, uh, in a biopic. Oh, really? Yeah, I thought, I thought he was going to get a, some kind of a superhero role at some point. Because doesn't he look at... Doesn't he, he's a dreamy you, handsome yeah, kind of right? a superhero I mean, DC don't you guy. Think, don't you think after uh, the Ben Affleck film tanked uh, a week ago that, that they should like make, start looking at him as maybe the next Batman, right? Huh? Huh? Ooh, huh? Too late now. Too late now. Well, that guy doesn't sell overseas. Ben Affleck yeah, sells Yeah, whatever. Does he really? Does well, ben, ben really? Affleck. Yeah, but does he sell Come overseas? on, if you, if you live in, like, uh, Latveria, you, you open Netflix. And, of course, Bones, you know, the other of the Deschanel sisters. They're both TV stars now. This is Emily, who is, is just wonderful. And I'm shocked that this show has lasted this long, because I don't think the show is that good, but I think they are both very good. And uh, this, of course, is, you know, leading into a whole new season. It's going into its ninth season now, which I never thought this show would last that long. Really, really sharp uh, Blu-ray. Very, very well photographed. And that is it. That's our show. That's, That's our show. show. Mark, give us an outro. Wait, wait, what was the outro you had last week? I can't remember. It was, it was something I, I, ridiculous. I said, you know, uh, bouncing baby balloons or some. Okay, well, until next week, bouncing baby balloons. Bouncing baby balloons.